been listening to MOD Channel. Hi guys, welcome to my podcast. This is MOG channel where we help you to see a real and practical Christians from God's word. If you're new here, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. Today we're going to continue our teaching on the figures of speech of the Bible. We have said so much about it. Look, if you haven't listened to that particular episode, which is the one before this one, just go, just pause this and go listen to that. It will make, this will make more sense to you with that as a background. All right. So please do that. Pause this. Go listen to that one and come back here and digest this goodness. All right. We said a whole lot. All right. I'm just going to get down to why it's important to understand figures of speech in the Bible. And then we're going to crack on. I said today we're going to be dealing with um, similes, metaphors, and I'm going to add hyperboles. All right to the whole mix and it's going to be fun it's going to be awesome you're going to learn a whole lot so just uh, stay tuned all right so why is it important to understand figures of speech in the bible all right first of all it's to get the correct interpretation of scriptures remember that the scriptures is literally god's revealed mind to us it's god's words to us all right man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god and those words have been captured in the format that we have them today and so if we are to properly follow god all right if we are not to make mistakes in our devotion to God, in our worship to God, then we better have an accurate understanding of the Word of God. Look, I don't want to start to stress how the misunderstanding of God's Word has cost so much in the body of Christ, has cost us so, so, so much. I mean, there are people who still believe a doctrine of predestination um, in summary that there are only some people who God wants to be saved. Those are, you know, saved by what we call election. And then the rest of us are doomed or something like that. And I mean, that's just crazy. But there are people who believe it today. And it's because of a misinterpretation of scriptures. All right. And so the place of figures of speech in scriptures is that it's a very commonly used theme. In fact, figures of speech is so commonly used in the Bible that as I said, it's a book that contains some of the most figures of speech in any, um, will I say, literary or literature material. So we have to understand what they are. We have to be able to identify, oh, this is a figure of speech. So we don't call what is figurative literal and we don't call what is literal figurative. Are you, are you seeing that? <laughs> all right. Um, and, and this is important because your Bible has so many figures. All right. I saw this um, particular um, thing that's been trending on is it Twitter. I think, yeah, I think it's Twitter, everywhere though. And it's about uh, people saying that this is what biblical angels look like, all right? And so what they do is that they, um, there's these, uh, well, let's say graphic uh, render, renders of angels um, according to what they look like in, you know, in the Bible or in a particular text of the Bible. For example, you have the ones that are said to have uh, maybe how many eyes, maybe how many eyes. Usually it's not one eye. It's usually like, <laughs> or two eyes. It's usually like maybe 20 eyes or something like that. Or eyes all over and then six wings and then maybe six hands and stuff like that. And so there was this was like a rendition to say that this is exactly what they look like. All right? But 
that couldn't be further from the truth. And that's just because the Bible has a simple, um, will I say, there's a simple understanding concerning angels. Your Bible has a lot to do with visions as well as reality. There are many people that had visions. Many of the times when you see angels appear or beings appear and they don't look, will I say, human or like humanoids. They're not human looking in a sense. You're looking at visions. Many times angels, when they come in those seemingly elaborate ways, they are visions. And those visions are symbolic. They're usually supposed to pass a message across. You're not supposed to be carried away by the look of the angels, you know, but there's a message. And, and this is something I will probably deal with in another podcast separately. We'll talk about angels in a separate podcast. Someone should hold me accountable. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll do that. But I just, I'm just using this to say that there are things that are literally figures. That, by the way, was just a figure of speech. That's an oxymoron, <laughs> right? You can go Google that. You see, one of the interesting things about figures of speech is that this is stuff that when we were in school, we literally did not listen. I mean, I remember the classes of figures of speech. I just remember similar metaphor. And that was it. Maybe hyperbole. The rest we threw out. And now you see that to be a good Bible student, you need to understand those things, which is quite interesting. Okay, so... We don't want to call something that is figurative literal, and we don't want to call something that is literal what figurative, okay? I think we used the idea of Lamb of God yesterday to talk about that. Like when we say Lamb of God, we're not talking about an actual lamb. But to get the real explanation, go to yesterday's podcast. I'm not going to explain that one. All right? Okay, so let's move on to the, the meat of today's podcast. We're going to start with simile, all right? A simile. There are similes in the scripture. What's a simile? A simile involves an explicit comparison of two unlike things using the word as or like. So it's comparison using as or like, all right? As tall as a giraffe, as beautiful as snow white, as white as snow, as ugly as a scarecrow, you know? You're using, you're doing a comparison, all right, of two things, using the word as or like those two have to be there now the bible has lots of you know such things it has similes so i'll give you an example isaiah chapter 1 verse 8 all right part of it says so the daughter of zion is left as a booth in a vineyard as a hut in a garden of cucumbers as a besieged city are you seeing that it's left as a booth in the vineyard as a hut as a, a garden of cucumber as a what besieged city all right, Isaiah 53 verse 6, it says, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. You see that? All we what? Like sheep have gone astray. Malachi 3 verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like laundress soap. See that? All right, Matthew 24 verse 27, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Are you seeing that? For us, the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west. So also, so you see the comparison. Comparison, that's the whole point. Behold, I send you as a lamb among wolves. All right? As lambs among wolves. Luke chapter 10 verse 3. Of course, this is supposed to emphasize innocence. Lambs, innocence among wolves. Not so innocent or evil. Are you seeing that? Okay, you can find more figures of speech, uh, similes in Isaiah 29, verse 8, 55, 10 to 11, Jeremiah 23, 29, Matthew 23, verse 37. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2. 
all right of course look at luke chapter 17 verse 26 and as it was in the days of the son of noah so it will be also in the days of the son of man you see that another simile okay um jeremiah 23 verse 29 is not my hand like as a fire the hand is not fire it's like as a fire matthew 17 verse 2 his face shone like the sun all right like the sun just trying to say it was extremely bright are you seeing that okay matthew chapter 90 verse 4 uh-huh. <laughs> for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has gone by or like a watch in the night now you see this it's a figure of speech it's a figure of speech now i've seen people use this to say um in fact some people have made calculations using this where they say something like uh okay day is like a thousand years to god they would actually take it literally all right so i mean they would now make certain calculations and i mean i've seen all sorts of things but this is actually a figure of speech it's a simile like as a thousand years are you seeing that just to say that time is time to god is is i mean if if you think about it a day is like a thousand years. a day to god might as well be a billion years are you seeing that like it's 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 different to god god dwells outside of time god created time so time to god is not like it is to us you get so it's just you know a figure of speech it's a simile and at the same time i would also say maybe it's an exaggeration or maybe it's not okay so look at this first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 2 for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the lord so comes as what a thief in the night are you seeing that it comes as what a thief in the night just what does that mean all right it means it comes what unexpectedly simple all right so you see it's it's so it's part and parcel of literature even outside the bible it's you know normal literature it's literature is so uninteresting if you don't have figures of speech figures of speech actually give life to literature all right they give life to whatever you read anything that's interesting usually has figures of speech so the bible is no exception except that we explained in the podcast yesterday that that is also because we are trying to use for example look at the 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 text in Matthew 17 verse 2 that talks about Jesus and how his face shone like the sun, right? His face became really bright and the comparison was what? The sun. So, I mean, spiritual realities always have to be explained using things like figures of speech. Alright, so let's move on to metaphors. Now, this is going to be very interesting. A metaphor is a direct comparison between two people or objects. It doesn't use as or like. So, the difference between a metaphor is that um, and a simile is that a simile would usually let you know that this is like a compare as or like as like, like you know but a metaphor usually just goes direct you know if we want to use normal metaphors well not maybe not normal but we'll say something like oh he's a goat what do we mean by that it means this guy is really stubborn this guy does not listen right uh that man is a porcupine <laughs> i wonder what that would even mean but you get the drift that's a metaphor you just make a direct comparison you just call him the thing and sometimes it can be called an insult anyway depending on how you use it but let's look at some metaphors in the bible all right so we have one here it says but you are a shield around me O lord you bestow your glory on me and lift up my head psalms 3 verse 3 you are a shield around me we know that god, and this is how you find a 
you know, a figure of speech. Obviously, God is not a shield, literally. Are you seeing that? It doesn't make sense, literally. So it has to be a figure of speech. It has to be a metaphor, all right? Because it's not true. God is not a shield. It's not a literal shield. Have you seen a shield before? It's not a literal shield, okay? But it says God is a shield around me, meaning that God protects me. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right? So look at another one. Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Hmm... You are what? The salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? All right? So, obviously, you are not salt. You are not literal salt. Have you seen salt? Are you salt? You are not salt. All right? Salt of the earth just means, I mean, what does salt do? So, you see, God is trying to, or let's say Jesus, I mean, who is God, is trying to, you know, describe to us what the life of God in us will do. What the gospel on our lips will do. All right, to others, and he compares it to salt. Are you seeing that he compares us to salt? You are what the salt of the earth. Are you seeing that? So, imagine what salt does, okay, to food. What does it do? Salt just gives it flavor, makes it better. Are you seeing that? It just it just enriches the food. Salt also preserves. So, you see, it says you are the salt of the earth. In other words, with this life of God in you and with the gospel on your lips, you know, you are going to be like that salt. You are going to do what that salt does, but instead, you are not going to be doing it in food. You are going to be doing it in people. Are you seeing that? So, that's the idea. It's a figure of speech. Okay? Psalms 100 verse 3, we are his people and the what? Sheep of his pasture. Obviously, we're not sheep. We don't bleed. But, we are the sheep of its pasture. So he's trying to make another compa- and that use another comparison, you know, to liken what the experience of, of um, the relationship he has with us is like. We are the sheep of his pasture. What does a if we are the sheep of his pasture? That means he is the what? He is the shepherd. And what does a shepherd do with sheep? Shepherd protects the sheep, feeds the sheep, nourishes the sheep. Are you seeing that? Takes care of the sheep. The sheep are his own. So, if we are the sheep of his pasture, we can expect these as benefits. Okay, he even says we are his people and the sheep of his people. So, his people, are you seeing that? He uses sheep to describe people. Are you seeing that? Or to say we are his people, but then he says, okay, let me let me say it to you another way. He now says, we are the what? We are the sheep of his pasture. Okay. John 10 verse 16. Another sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. And they will be one flock and one shepherd. Or there will be one flock and one shepherd. Are you seeing that? So the same thing. Sheep using, uh, calling us sheep. Just the same thing we just read in Psalm 100 verse 3. Alright. Then the seven I am statements of Jesus in the gospel of John are all metaphors. I am the bread of life. Are you seeing that? John 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. You see that? It's, I mean, no one will even argue with this one when you say, I am the bread of life. Because we know, obviously, there's no bread, right? There's no bread called life. You see that? So it has to be if you go speech. So I am the words, the bread of life. In other words, what bread does for you, I will do for you. By giving my life, giving you eternal life. All right? Um, I am the light of the world. But let's even go back to this bread of life. Okay? Because this figure of speech, life, you see, 
the major theme of the Bible is that God wants mankind to have his life. We see that theme running from Genesis down to Revelation. And so that idea or concept has been presented in many different ways. Okay, so when we look at it in Genesis 2, we see what we call tree of life tree of life it is not a, there's been no tree called life anywhere it's a figure of speech tree of life you see here bread of life are you seeing that there's also river of life are you seeing that okay so there are different ways and there's also what we call book of life figures of what speech people of god are you seeing that <laughs> metaphors so look at this john 8 verse 12 i am the light of the world all right what does light do light illuminates light gives direction all right so he's saying i am the light that is what i will do for the world i'm just giving you um what light does for you in the natural is what i will do for you all right in the spiritual i am the light of the world i am the door that's John 10 verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Saved and will go in and out and find what? Pasture. So I am the door. Jesus is not a physical door. Alright? But he calls himself the door. That means I am the entrance. Are you seeing that? I'm the, I'm the way in. I'm the way into life. I'm the door. That means you go through me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one goes to the Father except by me. Alright? I am the good shepherd. That's John 10 verse 11. The good shepherd. You see, a direct comparison. Jesus is not known for, when he was on earth, for actually shepherding any sheep. He didn't shepherd. There's no account of that. Yet he calls himself the good shepherd. So that, that should cast your mind to something else. And that's the thing about uh, study. When you study your Bible, that means that when you hear, I'm the good shepherd, why did he use shepherd? All right? The context will help you, but also think about what does a shepherd do? What does he do for the sheep? Okay? And on that text, is, I think it's the same John 10. Actually, he says a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, telling you his role to us. All right? His, his love for us. Okay? It says, John 11 verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. You see it again, the direct comparison. I am the resurrection. All right? and the life john 14 verse 6 i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except by me john 15 verse 1 i am the true vine and my father is the what vine dresser he calls himself the true vine he says my father is what the vine dresser all these are figures they are just using things we already know are you seeing that to talk about a reality that is <laughs> you know beyond to explain this reality all right that 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 um is eternal are you seeing that or spiritual okay if you want more adventures in metaphors you can see psalms 23 verse 1 jeremiah 2 verse 13 luke 8 21 revelation 1 verse 20 now let's move on to hebraisms okay or hebraisms whichever way you want to pronounce it these are idioms specific to the jews okay they are idioms all right or idiomatic expressions now, what are idioms? We explained this like two podcasts ago. Idioms are phrases that have a meaning totally disconnected from the literal meaning of it. 
All right. For example, we have the word kick the bucket. What does that mean? Natural, literally, that just doesn't. He say he kicked the bucket. I'm mean, okay. He kicked the bucket. Uh, no, he didn't kick the bucket. He kicked the bucket. What do you mean? He died. What does death have to do with kicking the bucket? Yet, it's a phrase that we have come to accept today that this is what it means. So, it has nothing to do with the meaning. However, they are so connected by culture or by the acceptance of it by people and all that. So, another example is it's raining cats and dogs. For goodness sake, what does cats and dogs have to do with raining heavily? But it says it's raining cats and dogs. All right? So, you see that... Uh, that kind of thing. That's idioms. That's idioms. Okay? Um, idioms can be universally known or unique to a culture. Alright? So, idioms can be, I mean, there's some idioms that are universal. For example, we kick the bucket. But there are some idioms that are unique to just a certain culture. So, idioms unique to Jewish culture or Hebrew culture is called, they're called Hebraisms. Alright? Hebraisms. Okay, so let's look at a few of them. Alright? There's one called milk and honey. Alright? Exodus 3 verse 8 says, So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large place, to a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. Are you seeing that? To a land flowing with milk and honey. Yet we know that the promised land, that's Canaan, which milk and honey? Where does milk come from? Does it not come from cows? Right? Where does honey come from? Does it not come from bees? Or are they saying that there's so many cows and so many bees in the place? Well, I don't think so. It's just uh, a Hebraism for what? For prosperity. Are you seeing that? For prosperity. It's unique to the Hebrew culture. And the beauty of this thing is many of these Hebraisms have tend to have made it into Western culture today. That is, we use a lot of these Hebraisms today. Why? Because of the Bible. Because by the adoption of the Bible into our everyday lives, it has come into our culture. And so many of these Hebraisms have made their way into, I mean, universal culture, if we may say it like that. All right, look at Exodus 33, verse 3. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up with you. All right, so or go up in your midst. So you see the same thing again, milk and honey, land with milk and honey, talking about abundance. Now it says, for I will not go up in your midst. Still Exodus 33, verse 3. Lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. All right, so stiff-necked is another one and that Hebraism that is used. And obviously, that just means stubborn, unrepentant people. <laughs> All right? If you've studied Exodus or the children of Israel, you will know that they use this stiff-necked a lot. And it just means the same thing. They are what? Stubborn people. They are very, very, you know, will I say annoying, but very, very stubborn, very set in their ways. So, because the idea of a stiff neck is what? You don't move from left or right. So, it's a Hebraism. It's unique to the Jewish culture. But, I mean, today, I think we use it some way or the other. Now, another one. Fear and trembling. Okay? So, fear and trembling is one that is quite interesting because the meaning has been so twisted and warped over time. I mean, it's popular because of Paul. All right? All right? Paul would say, for example, he would say, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling okay and then we'll say ah man brethren you need to work out your salvation with fear you need to tremble right you need to you know be afraid okay so it, there's there's that idea all right that <laughs> that that's what happens philippians 2 verse 12 therefore my beloved as you have been as you have always obeyed not as in my absence only but now much more in, or not 
as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. All right? But you see, fear and trembling was used in other places. So we can get that meaning. Second um, Corinthians 7 verse 15. St. Paul writes, and his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you or how with fear and what trembling you received him. You see, that seems quite positive. All right. Ephesians 6 verse 5. Born servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Are you seeing that? It doesn't, it's not a negative word per se. All right. If we look at others, um, Ephesians 6 verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as born servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. All right. So it explains what the fear and trembling is in verse 5, which is when it says, Born servants be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling. He now says, In sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as, or as men pleasers. So you see, fear and trembling there would have to do with reverence. It would have to do, let's look at it used in um, the Old Testament, Jeremiah 3 verse 9. 33 verse 9. Then it shall be to me a praise, to me, to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all nations of the earth, who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for all the words, goodness, and all the prosperity that I provide for it. So they fear and tremble. So you need to understand that many times the word fear, all right, from the original text, actually has a lot to do with awe. All right? There's an awe. They are awed. It's not, it's not a negative word it's not oh my good i'm afraid of god no it's i'm in awe of god many times when we say the fear of god for example it's the awe it's the reverence of god you get that it's it's referring to are you seeing that so fear and trembling is a hebraism so you see if you don't understand this you have a twisted idea of god you have a warped understanding of god are you seeing the issue here all right so the last one that we are going to go into for today is the hyperbole, all right? The hyperbole. And I think this one is going to be the most impactful, all right? Um, so what is a hyperbole? It's an exaggeration to make a or reinforce a point. It's what? An exaggeration to make or reinforce a point, all right? Aha. Uh-huh. Um, you've probably heard this one. Say a coward dies a thousand deaths, all right? That is... A, a serious hyperbole or um, a cat has nine lives that's another hyperbole what does that just mean it, it, it means that a cat is very lucky and tends to survive dangerous incidents that's the whole idea behind that so it's it's an exaggeration it has nine lives to explain that it says nine lives you know it's like you're just stretching the fact so much that just to reinforce you know the meaning of what you're saying okay so one of the most famous um, and mostly misunderstood hyperboles is found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 24, okay? Where it says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this uh, there are many renditions of this. Traditionally, it has been said that there was a gate in the walls of Jerusalem called the needle's eye, through which an unladen camel could squeeze through with great difficulty. Unfortunately, this interpretation is simply not true. There was no gate in Jerusalem called the Needle's Eye, and there has never been. Are you seeing that? So, it says, now I'm quoting a reference, biblicalstudies.org.uk, all right? And so, they say that 
the first reference to this, that's the idea of the needle's eye gate in Jerusalem, is found in the writings of Theophylact, Archbishop of Archida in Bulgaria in the 11th century. Jerusalem had been destroyed twice by this time in 70 AD and 134 to 136, but the man had never visited it anyway. He simply made up the interpretation to get around the obvious meaning. All right. So after all, it's in, if it's it is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, and that was precisely Jesus's point. Are you seeing that? So imagine a camel going through that eye, that tiny part of a needle, the eye of a needle, this, that hole you put the thread in. So Jesus was just trying to emphasize something because he said it's easier for a camel to go through there than for a rich man to enter God's kingdom. And what was he trying to do? Because the next thing he says. You know, he actually said, "With God, all things are possible." So the idea was that <laughs> you see that the, the the rich man, all right, because of his riches, is seemingly tied down by his quest for this the things of this life that he loses sight of eternity. He's weighed down by those things, all right. But he says, "With God, these things are possible." In other words, there would actually be that help, you know, for that. There's more meaning to that, you see. But let's move on. All right, so Jesus was very fond of hyperboles and used it frequently in his teachings. So let's find some more, more examples. All right, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, his wife, and children, his brother and sister, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, verse 26. Obviously, the word hate is not, he didn't mean hate. It actually meant to love less. Are you seeing that? All right. Look at that one that he said in Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, he says, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You know, this text here has caused wahala. There are people I've heard of who have actually chopped off their private part because they read it. Ah, this is my uh, male organ. <laughs> Let it not kill me. And he, someone went, several people have done it. They went and chopped the thing off. When this was just a figure of speech. You see why it's important? It's important. And this is why you need Bible teachers, good ones, to guide you in your understanding of the word. Don't just um, read it. That's why when we say, no God for yourself, it's a, it's, a, it's a truth that has lies in it. You know God for yourself through the church. Are you seeing that? You only build on what the church does. You build on the teachings of your pastor. That's how you know God. Not that you just go and pick the Bible and just... <laughs> trouble there. Trouble there. Trouble there. All right? Um, we have this uh, Judges 20 verse 16. Among all these people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling to a stone or at a hair's breadth and not miss. I remember when I saw this years ago, reading my Bible, spoke about talking about the Benjamites or so, that had had 700 select men or right, lefties who could sling a stone. Like, imagine this, like the sling that David used. All right? They could sling a stone at a hair's breadth. Imagine a hair. Like, imagine you throw hair in the air and they could sling it at the hair's breadth and not miss. And my mind, I was like, oh my goodness, this guy was so accurate. But apparently it was a what? It's a hyperbole. It's a figure of speech. It just means that they were very deadly in their accuracy. It doesn't mean they were able to do that. Are you seeing that? <laughs> Matthew 7 verse 3. And who do you look, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not consider the plank in your own eye? Obviously, how can a plank get into your eye? That is what a hyperbole is, an exaggeration to just get the point. Talking about hypocrisy, 
that you should address your own matter first before pointing fingers at anybody. Are you seeing that? John 21 verse 25. This is another one that caught me as a younger Christian. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which is, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that were written, would be written. And I was actually thinking, that, wow, oh, if they wrote that, that, that means there won't be enough books in the world. But that's just ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Are you seeing that? That, that can't be true. <laughs> the, all the books in the world, think about it. All the books in the world. Come on, come on. Even one book, one book can contain everything if it's big enough. So, obviously, this is another hyperbole. It's another exaggeration. Are you seeing that? Aha. So, it's just good for you to know these things. Are you seeing the, the help or how helpful it is to understand figures of speech? It's helpful because it can lead you into serious errors. Serious errors. Erroneous teachings that you will not recover from. All right. Glory to God. So that's it for today. I hope this was helpful to you. Make sure you share this with someone. Help them to understand. I mean, you can share the one of yesterday and to just the whole packet. Let people understand these things. Let it enrich Bible study everywhere. And I believe that, uh, yeah, things will get better. All right, guys. That's it for today. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. And bye-bye. If this blessed you or you want to say hi or you have a question, you can head over to my Instagram at pst.essien, pst.essien. Also, if you've been blessed and you'd love to support what we do here at MOG Podcast, then you can give to 0106-207-685. I'll say that again. 0106-207-685 GT Bank. God bless you.